0: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, welcome into the program. So, I don't know what happened. I don't know if we're still streaming right now. As soon as we transition the cameras, of course, then everything looks like it just uh, went to the waist. I, I don't think we're streaming anymore. That's all right. We'll get that back up and going. Hey, welcome in. It is a Wednesday, the midweek celebration, the pre-pre-Friday, the post-to-post Monday right here in The Voice Reason, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming and podcasting. Hold on here. Let's try this again see if it pops back up again. It was weird. Like, we literally just hit the transition, and then the screen went blank, and then it, it looks like I rebooted everything. That's all right. It doesn't matter. We're all over the place. You'll get us back again. You know where to find us, Hoosierreason.com. all the social media, plus radio and TV all over the place as well. I, I, I come in really excited about this show today, really excited about this story. I'm scrolling through. Now, you ever get caught looking at a website you're not supposed to look at? And here's what I mean. No, we're not talking about that. Stop it. But it's almost like that. You feel guilty like that. If you're looking at one of those websites, like when you go to, say, like MSNBC, it kind of feels dirty a little bit. It's like, I hope no one catches me looking at this site. Right? When you when you listen to MSNBC or you watch their news or you go to their website, you feel just a little bit dirty going there because you don't know what you're going to get. You know that it's a complete lie, but yet it makes you feel good sometimes. just like other places as well. Here's what I mean. I love when the other side of the aisle completely misses the boat. I mean, they don't even get it. It's completely right over their head. They don't understand. They don't grasp the concept in any way, shape, or form. Like, kind of like a guy trying to understand a woman. You just, sometimes it goes right over your head. Now, I'm a blonde, so maybe this is just me because it's my blondness coming out. But you just don't get it. They tell you something. And it's kind of like the glossy look over and you just don't quite grasp the concept. You don't connect the dot A to dot B. Maybe it's just me because of my blondness and because I am who I am. But nonetheless, uh, I think most guys have that problem as well. We kind of just we work through one box. You ever hear about that theory about like how guys and girls, you know, differentiate in their minds? Guys like compartmentalize everything and you can only have one box open at a time. And like it's work mode. It's thinking mode it's family taking care of mode it's resting mode and there's the nothing mode where you can literally just blank out and not think about anything and it's kind of nice for a guy women don't do that they're all over the place and you know it's just kind of a mayhem in their brain We're compartmentalized well my boxes at least in my head there are a couple where it's i just don't grasp and i try to like feel my way through it it happens a lot when mrs voice of reason tries to tell me something that's how i think democrats operate on a normal basis according to the story and I had to laugh I went to MSNBC I went there looked over my shoulder making sure no one was looking let's see what MSNBC has to say here I went to the website and there was a headline already that right off the bat started making me chuckle and I said I have to talk about this this is fantastic because this is why we're winning this is why we're doing so well in the nation Helps if I transition my slides over there. This is why we're winning so well in the nation is because they just don't grasp it. They don't get it. As you know, across the nation, we dominate the majority of the state legislative seats. We have a Republican majority in state legislatures in about three-quarters of the states across the nation. We have the governorships as Republicans in the vast majority... Near 60, 55, 60 percent of the governor's seats across the nation are Republican. We do well at the local grassroots level. However, we struggle quite a bit at the federal level. We don't quite get it. We don't have the umbrella for the think tank for everybody to move forward in the right direction. We are our own worst enemy. Even when we had the majority in Washington, D.C., we have a hard time implementing things because we're different. And we embrace that as a Republican Party because under conservative values, we don't want everybody to do the same thing. We like diversity. We like thinking about things differently. We like to have our own individualized opinions. That's why the Libertarian Party will never become a major third party. Because they are so individualized, they can never get along on everything. I don't even know what the platform is for libertarians anymore. Because when someone comes out and says that they believe in this libertarian policy, then other libertarians trash them for being a hypocrite or not being extreme enough or going too far, and they just end up eating themselves. Libertarians will never be a major third party. I hate to break it for everybody that likes to vote third party. Guess what? You're never going to win that way. It's never going to happen, ever, in any way, shape, or form. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. I don't want to completely dock it because it's actually a good thing to many degree because you're not just getting talking points and running with them. Conservatives are maybe just a small forward step up under the Republican umbrella because the Republican umbrella has a lot of dumbness in it, but we're cleaning it out. And we've cleaned a lot of that out under the Trump administration, and it continues to get better. But MSNBC ran this story. Here's the headline. State Republican chairs become the, quote, chief enforcers of Trumpism. It's easy to marvel at Trump's sway over GOP lawmakers on Capitol Hill, but to fully appreciate his reach, don't look past the state Republican parties. And they use the example of booting out just over the last year or so, booting out the chair of the Ohio state Republican chair and then putting someone else in who's a Trump advocate. And the states are advocating for Trump more so than at the national level. Now, some say, well, yeah, because, you know, they're just trying to abuse and they're trying to change the party. Guess what? The state Republican parties, whatever state you may be living in, they're about you. If you're a member of the party, if you're active in any way, shape or form in state politics, here's a little inside ball for those that may not be. If you go to your county Republican meetings. If you're involved with your county Republican Party and you help hand out literature, you help knock on doors, or make phone calls for candidates, or do your thing. If you want to do that stuff and really make a difference, become a precinct person in your area, become a precinct captain, because when there's a vacant seat, you get to fill them and actually have a voice for that, which means you get to choose who you want to run for the chair of your county Republican Party. Be involved in the county issues with your Republican Party. Do those things because when you do that. You have a major say in your party locally. Then you take that to the statewide level. And all right, this area of Kansas, this area of Nebraska, this area of Texas, this area of California, this area of Washington, all these, you know, this area, that's what they're voting for. That's what you are voting for. You get to represent that at the statewide level. We want the state Republican platform to be X, Y, and Z. We want to hold our elected officials to a certain standard. We want to do what, grassroots campaigning. Republicans are awesome. Democrats suck at it. They're great at the national level because they like their utopia. We make the decisions up here. You just kind of abide by them down here. We can't really relate to you, but you just need to do what we tell you to because we know better than you. That's their mindset. Ours, we build from the ground up. And that's why we do so well at the local and state levels. And the other side just doesn't get it. The party statewide imploded under Barack Obama. Barack Obama didn't invest in statewide parties. He didn't invest in local parties. And guess what? His When he left office, the Democrats were in shambles because they have to build from the ground up to represent at the federal level. Now they're just trying to do it with the top-heavy administrators and bureaucrats and politicians at the federal level and not invest in their states, and they're losing badly. We're dominating. And with this type of article with them, oh, the state Republican parties all over the country, they're still embracing Trumpism. That means they just don't understand. They don't grasp the concept that you need to relate to your constituents at the local level. Go ahead and you, wherever you may be, go and knock on the door of your state legislature, Republican or Democrat, knock on their door, because you should know where they live as a state legislator. You should know where they live, you should know who they are, you should know what their districts are, you should know what their platform is, and you should know what they stand for so that way you can talk to them. And they should be like the neighbor next door to be like, hey, Bob, I really need you to work on this at the statewide level. That's the way your state legislature should be everywhere in the country, not just here in Kansas because we're you know rural and podunk and we have a less population to live out in the rural communities kind of thing, which we can do that. I have my state legislator on our local program all the time. And I can call him and text him anytime I want to, and it's not just because I'm a radio guy and I have him on the radio show, but that's the relationship you should have with your state legislature. Even if you're in, like, New York City, get a hold of them. Knock on their door. Hey, you guys are working on high taxes in the state of New York? Stop it. Knock it off. And make sure they're aware of that because you should have that power. They're the closest thing as a representative – in a form of representative government that we should ever have they are the most they should be the most um reachable most representable individual out there is your state legislator and we're winning at that because we do so much better at grassroots campaigning And the fact that Democrats are railing on state Republican parties for supporting Trump means that they don't understand and grasp that concept, which is why you see Barack Obama not investing in the state parties, which is why you see Hillary Clinton when she was running for president in 2016, needing to take classes on how to be more relatable to the common folk because she didn't quite get it. She's running. She should have as she's touring around the country doing Uh, you know, uh, doing elections and doing rallies and doing stuff, that she should have these state parties putting these up and hosting them and getting their constituents out there and really running things at the local level. She had to take classes on how to become more relatable. The other side of the aisle just doesn't get it. And these stories are hilarious. So while I chuckle, it makes me more optimistic going into a midterm election in 2022 because the Democrats still don't know how to relate. The only thing they know how to do is, number one, do what they just did here, is rail on Trump because they got nothing else to talk about. They can't talk about achievements of Joe Biden. They can't rail on him, obviously, because they'd be out of a job and MSNBC would be shut down. So they had to support him, but they don't have anything positive to say. So all the other headlines are just hilarious, but state Republicans become the chief enforcers of Trumpism. Which shows two things. Number one, again, Democrats don't know how to actually relate to their constituents at a local level. Number two, that we have a serious disconnect between Republicans at the federal level and what's going on down at the local level. If you notice, most of the policies from Republicans that we disagree with come from the ones in Washington, D.C. It's usually now this isn't the case, obviously, for everybody. And there's a lot of these that are the other way. But usually. It's. The policies that you agree with, they're happening in your state level, under your party, as a precinct captain, as a chair of your county Republican Party, as a state chair of your Republican Party, as the head of your state in advocating for certain principles, limited government, less regulation, smaller government, more free enterprise, more individual liberty, so on and so forth, as we advocate for that. That's usually done at the statewide level, and guess which ones? are still supporting Trump. Guess which ones are still advocating for the Trump and the Trump movement. More conservative candidates running saying Trump did it as a business person, I'm going to do it too. I've never been in politics before but I want to do a change. I want to do I want to have some sort of change. I want to do something productive. I'm going to run for office. Trump did it. Wow, look at what they did to Trump. I want to make sure that our elections are secure. I want to make sure our Second Amendment issues are secure. I want to make sure we don't have more taxes. I want to make sure we don't have more spending. I want to make sure these things. I'm going to run for office. That starts at the local level. And again, not something the Democrats quite grasp. Because they already have their candidates chosen. They already know who they like. They already know who they support. They already know everything about that person when they run because it's been chosen by the higher-ups, and you're just going to have to relate to them, which is why we got someone like AOC in and so on. Well, AOC may be a little bit different. She fooled a bunch of people by getting people to turn out to an election that nobody cared about, and that's how she got stuck in that seat. So there is that one. But the ones that are actually leadership in the Democrat Party, you had no clue who they were. They're not relatable. They were handpicked by the higher-ups, the elites. Republicans, now we have people like Lauren Boebert in Colorado that are carrying in Washington, D.C. with their firearm. Now we have people running for office all over the country wanting to run for seats that have never been in politics because of your local party and what you do at the grassroots level. It's amazing.
1: The Voice of Reason
0: with Andy Hoosier. Hey, it's Andy Hoosier with The Voice of Reason. Fighting for conservative principles seems more difficult all the time. It's all there at HoosierReason.com. Again, HoosierReason.com. Go check it out. Why? Helping you defend and preserve this great republic.
1: You're listening to the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Well, I'm getting
0: some comments on some of the social media about libertarians in the comment that I made. Look, I love libertarians, and I respect the hell out of you as libertarians because you stand on your principles regardless, and you won't waver on them in any way, shape, or form. I think there's a time to compromise in order to advance 80% instead of nothing of your agenda, which I think is where libertarians some fail. But I respect the heck out of libertarians. I love the libertarian. I have a lot of libertarian views myself on many issues as well. And it's just it's just a matter of fact, the the Libertarian Party is not going to go anywhere. It never will, because you will never be able to get enough people to agree on the platform in order to move forward as a unified voice. And that's what you have to have in politics is a unified voice, because conservatives already struggle with it. But at least we have a unified voice of, you know, limited government, less taxes, less regulation, so on and so forth. And I really wish and this is still going to be a mission on my program. And we haven't talked about this in a long time. This is still going to be a full-on mission and duty and goal for this program is to try and win back over Libertarians back into the Republican Party. I know it's going to be a difficult task. I know it's near impossible. I know you're probably shaking your head and saying, Andy, good luck with that pipe dream. It's never going to work. But I really, really, truly do want to win Libertarians back into the Republican Party. Why, Andy? Because if we work together... On the 90% of things that we agree with, with Republican values and libertarian values, we can work together and make those happen with a louder voice, and then we can bicker about the small little things. We can bicker about the tiny little minuscule things that, that are important, but yet, you know, not the bread and butter. We can't bicker about tiny little minuscule things if we don't have the big stuff laid out. If we don't have the big things together. Let's work together. Bring back in the party. Bring them back. I get it. I know you've been victimized and you've been run out of the party under the the Republican umbrella. I understand that. The establishment ran you out of the party, and now they're trying it with conservatives as well. And it's struggling. It's frustrating. We get angry with it. I get it. But understand, the Libertarian Party will never go anywhere because you can never agree on anything in order to unify yourself to actually support a candidate. It's just, it It doesn't happen. It hasn't happened so far, and it's not going to happen. Real quick, I want to shift gears a little bit. Here's something a little concerning. So as we talk about the economy, budgets, the unemployment rate, the labor shortage that's going on right now, there's a new poll from Axios.com on the reasons why people are turning down job offers while they're unemployed. Let me repeat that again. There are people that are turning down job applications while they're getting unemployment because of the additional three to $400 a week from unemployment benefits. Oh, yeah. Now, the reasoning for that is kind of fascinating. There's a multitude of reasons, according to Axios.com, in this survey of 463 U.S. adults that are currently receiving unemployment insurance as of the end of June, so just a couple of weeks ago. And here's what they had to say. Number one was child care obligations at 13.3%. Okay, you know what? Kind of sort of makes sense. Unemployment benefits. You're sitting there. I'm trying to get back to work. Don't know what to do with the kid. You know what? We had that issue before. We'll figure it out as we go along, but we could at least get back to the standard that we were at before, couldn't we? But I get it. That's a major issue is child care. Luckily, Mrs. Voice of Reason works from home as we're starting with our Hoosier Media Network doing our things there. And we're investing in our home business to where hopefully we can both do that at some point. But I get it. That's a big challenge for a lot of people's child care obligations. Here's the next one. This is all tied at 13% here. COVID-19 or any combination of reasons associated with the pandemic. 13% of people say, I'm still scared of COVID. Therefore, I know I need to go back to work, but I'm going to turn down the job because of COVID. Sounds like kind of a vague excuse to me. Number three, here's the interesting one. I receive enough money from unemployment insurance without having to work. I don't need to go back to work. I make enough money while I'm doing this. I'm kind of sticking to it. Here's the crazy part. There's another one that's kind of the same thing. I was not given enough money to return back to work. 12% of people. Put those two together, you got a quarter of it. You got 25% of all the survey recipients saying, I receive enough money from unemployment, and my job didn't offer enough money for me to come back. A quarter of the people would rather sit at home and collect the unemployment insurance when they don't need to because... The benefits are too good, and I'm not getting paid enough to go back to work. I'm not putting myself through that crap. Really? The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, it's Andy Hoosier. While you listen to the delightful broadcast of The Voice of Reason, don't forget to check us out and follow us on all of our social media sites. Whether you're using Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Minds.com, or Instagram, we're there for you.
1: When Reason Meets Radio,
0: you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. I still can't get over this unemployment thing, the list of reasons why people are turning down jobs. Listen, if you have a job opportunity and you need money because you haven't been working and then you apply to a job and then you get a job or you get offered a job, you take the damn job. I don't care how much it is. I don't care what it is, even if it's out of your career or your um market whatever it is if you're hurting and you take care of your family then that's just what you do but the reasons here are kind of funny so people i mean there's maybe one maybe one or two that are justifiable on this list according to axios reasons for turning down jobs while unemployed child care obligations that's the number one priority okay you know what i can kind of sort of see that let's figure something out there but because of covid quote-unquote reasons associated with the pandemic I'm scared, don't want to get the virus, I'm fearful, people don't wear masks, people don't get the vaccine, whatever. Uh, not an excuse. Get your ass back to work. I receive enough money from unemployment insurance without having to work. That's the number three at 13% of the people that filled out this thing. Health med- health and medical limitations. Uh, depends on what you're talking about. There's obviously jobs for really pretty much anybody, regardless of health and medical conditions. I was not given enough money to return to work. Kind of sounds like you're making more money on employment, right? That's that's 12%. So between those two, that's a quarter of these responses, 25%, say that they're either not getting offered enough money to go back to work or they're making too much money on unemployment. The job didn't allow any remote work, school and training. The job required fixed working hours or not enough flexibility. Aw, I mean, come on, can't be breaking into that personal life. I love this one. The job required too many hours of work. (laughs) Apparently you've never worked in radio before. I want to shift gears a little bit. I'm super excited about our next guest. It's been a while since we've had him on, and he's one of my favorite guests to have on the program as we talk about some really, really cool stuff. And as we talk about COVID, trying to come out of this, I I don't know if you've heard or not, we've already had uh, people get concerned about the fall school semester and already some health officials I do that in air quotes health officials that are concerned about kids not wearing masks, depending on the school district around the country, wherever you're at, and the mandating masks or even mandating the vaccine for kids 12 years and older. And a lot of schools are not doing that. And now they're starting to rebel a little bit. I'm wondering how long it's going to take before the teachers union starts to throw a fit. Even all the teachers that wanted it already got the vaccine. So what's it going to look like this coming school year? Excited to have on. He's with the new American. Uh, He's been on there. Also, he's written for The Hill, The Observer, The American Conservative, World Net Daily, uh, American Thinker, and a heck of a lot more. Excited to have back on here Mr. Selwyn Duke with us here. Selwyn, how are you, my friend?
1: Not bad, Andy. How are you? And it's great to be with you.
0: Yeah, it's good to talk to you again. It's been a long time and I love having you on the program uh, with so much insight that you bring to it. This is a an interesting conversation and I kind of almost half expected this. There's a few things that I'm anticipating this fall. Number one is a bigger push to get more children vaccinated and to wear masks in the school year. And number two, even though we're out of things and things are opening up, that the Democrats still wanting to push for extending the additional unemployment COVID nineteen benefits past September when the new fiscal budget takes place, because well, the economy's just not up to par again. Do you see both of those things starting to happen here in the next few months?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And with respect to the children, it's absolutely ridiculous. You mentioned masks, you know. When we used to ask Andy, who is that masked man? We were talking about a hero. Now we might be talking about a zero, at least in terms of health. <laughs> and what I'm talking about here is we've heard in the past how when people wear these face masks, they can become like pathogen laden petri dishes on their faces. We've heard that it's possible that people could be inhaling plastic microparticles from the surgical masks. And now actually there's another study, Andy, this is out of Germany and Poland, just published by JAMA Pediatrics, which is a top-notch pediatric journal, indicating that when children wear masks, even for just a few minutes, they start inhaling six times the normal level of carbon dioxide, Mm -hmm. and they can develop dangerously high levels of carbon dioxide in their bloodstream. I mean, it's really unbelievable. 25,000 parts per million we're talking about when certain health authorities, such as the Minnesota Department of Health, say that the safe level should not exceed 10,000 parts per million. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. And that's why I ask in my article, will we one day come to see masking children as we now do giving them radium candy, which we did in the early 1900s. Radium is a radioactive substance, and at one time people thought it had curative properties. I mean, what you have to remember is that children, by and large, are not threatened by COVID. That's the whole thing that's being glossed over by the so-called health authorities. For instance, the CDC itself, if you trust it, in October issued statistics, and they told us that if you're 0 to 19 years old, Andy, and you contract the coronavirus, your chances of survival are (laughs) 99.997%. And then there was also a study a while back out of Newcastle University in London indicating that the flu was at least twice as dangerous to children under 10 as COVID is. And studies all over the world have indicated that. So if you weren't masking your kid over the flu during flu season, why would you mask him now? And I mean, it gets more ridiculous than that. There are more children, Andy, who die in pool drownings every single year than have died from COVID thus far. And this is the latest federal numbers, or these are, I should say, just 0.06% of all coronavirus fatalities in our country have been Americans who are under age 18. So you have to ask, what are we afraid of and what's going on here? I mean, the journal The Lancet, there's another one. They said, quote, COVID-19 is a generally mild disease in children, including infants. So There's no reason at all to mask your child. I mean, I would actually call it child abuse. And nonetheless, though, despite that, we see school systems such as New York's in New York City, I should say, that are actually talking about requiring children to wear masks in the fall. Absolute scientific obscurantism. There's no reason behind this whatsoever. And, you know, I point out with respect to this because some people will say, well, if masks really aren't beneficial, and that's what studies have shown as well, then why do medical personnel wear them? Well, that's a totally different thing. You have to understand that there's a difference between saying, okay, how effective are they going to be if we have a theoretical person responsible wearing a theoretical mask, N95, in a theoretical way, well-fitted and disinfected? That's one thing. There's a difference between that and saying, well, What's going to happen when you prescribe this course of action at the level of population? Because there, the equation completely changes. You've got to factor into the equation the kinds of masks people are going to wear, the fact that they're going to become dirty in short order. I mean, there was one study I wrote about a while back indicating that after just one day of wearing a mask, children's masks were loaded with all sorts of dangerous pathogens. And that was a small sampling of masks. but still this whole thing defies reason. If you're going to consider any medical intervention for yourself or a child, you have to do a cost-benefit analysis. And the cost-benefit analysis here is very simple. Kids are not imperiled by COVID. There's no reason for a medical intervention. It makes no more sense than giving your child chemotherapy when he doesn't have cancer.
0: Amen to that. I'm right there with you. I may have read that story and I I was thinking of the same one where uh, it was some parents that sent in like six or ten different masks from their children and it came back with like a list of like 15 different ridiculous things of hepatitis in their mask and and all these different weird diseases that were just there from regular children that weren't sick that didn't have any issues. That's what was in their mask that they were breathing back into their body. It was outstanding.
1: Yeah, no, that is the study I think and Again, this is not something that we have to worry about. The whole coronavirus situation, as you know, has been completely overblown. And I'm not saying that it's not a dangerous bug for certain people. Obviously, it is. I mean, the flu is as well. I often point out to people during the 2017-2018 flu season for a few weeks, January, February 2018, the elderly were dying at the rate of 169 a day or seven an hour from the flu. That's according to the AARP. No one talked about it back then. Maybe we should have. Maybe we'd protect the elderly a little better if we did. But the point is, is that it's not unusual for vulnerable people to die from respiratory diseases. We heard that 78% of the people who died from COVID were obese. So that's obviously a big risk factor. We've known all along, Andy, since the early data that came out of Italy, that This imperils elderly people. That data out of Italy indicated that the average age of death, this was early last year, was 79.5. So we know who's imperiled, and this is another thing. If we had focused on those populations, protecting them, instead of dispersing our focus, we might have done a much better job of protecting them. We might have far fewer deaths today. Maybe governors such as Andrew Cuomo here in New York and... Phil Murphy in New Jersey and Gretchen Whitmer Whitmer, wouldn't have put COVID-positive patients in nursing homes and killed thousands of patients who otherwise wouldn't have had to die. Maybe we would have been wary of things such as that. Instead, we were like Chicken Little running around saying the sky is falling when this was a disease, again, that does not imperil most people. You know, I've said this before, but early last year, you had Dr. Newt Witkowski, who used to head up a major department at Rockefeller University in New York City, who's an epidemiologist. He said the correct way to handle this is you isolate and protect the vulnerable groups, you let everyone else mingle as they normally would so you can establish herd immunity, and then he said this process only takes a few weeks. After that, you can let the younger people get back together with their grandparents. Exactly. And according to him, anyway, he said, hey, if we had followed this course, this wouldn't have been a problem for too long. But that, instead, we've prolonged this whole situation via bad policy.
0: Yeah, it, it's been bad policy since the very beginning. we got to take a break, so Can you stick over one more segment with us?
1: Sure, I, absolutely.
0: I'd appreciate that. We got. I want to talk about, with these children, why we're pushing it and with uh, who's pushing this is it going to be the teachers union is it going to be the teachers themselves the administration is it the health departments for the scare or is it the parents that are quote-unquote fearful of it spreading we'll talk about that when we come back as we continue the mask mandates with children right here on the voice of reason stay here reason
1: with andy hoosier
0: hey it's andy hoosier with the voice of reason fighting for conservative principles seems more difficult all the time
1: you're listening to the voice of reason with andy hoosier
0: uh, it goes by way too fast the fastest hour of radio on radio plus the live streaming and the tv and the podcasting wherever you may be watching or listening your millennial general having way too much fun today because well we can so I don't really care. Mm-mm. It's what we're all about. Find us on the social media with the handle at Who's Your Reason. That's H-O-O-S-E-R, Reason. Also on the website at who's your reason.com. As we continue on, we're chatting with the man himself. I love having him on the program. So much information, so much insight uh, with the new American. He also writes for The Hill, The Observer, The American Conservative, World Net Daily, American Thinker, and more. You can find him on his handle at Selwyn Duke uh, on social media, S-E-L-W-Y-N, Duke. On social media. Uh, So let's talk about these mask mandates for children going back into the fall semester because I I think it's going to be interesting to see the battles that we have up and coming with us. Uh, Because I want to, this is the argument that they use as well. The children may not be affected by COVID because, as you mentioned, we have a 99.997% you know, success rate for children if they get uh, infected with COVID, but they can spread it to other people. So they're going to spread it to other children who's going to take it home to their sick grandma that lives with them, or it's going to spread to the teacher and to her family when they come home or his family. So they're, they're just going to be the incubator to grow it. And then they're going to send it off to other families. And it's just going to never end. I mean, that's, that's what they're trying to use, isn't it?
1: Well, it is. It is. And what is the truth on that, though, Andy? That's the question. I've heard different things. For instance, I've heard that children don't readily spread the virus because their viral loads are too low. So that's a real question. Personally, I don't think we can trust at this point anything the health authorities have to say, because they've lied to us on so many different occasions. I mean, you look at Anthony Fauci. The man just lies like he breathes. January 21st and February 29th of last year, he said on television, the videos are on YouTube, that COVID was no big deal. That's what he said. Now, February 29th, remember that date. Then, during an Easter Sunday interview with Jake Tapper last year, he said that he warned the administration in late February that the disease was a problem and that they had to get on the ball. Well, that means he was either lying then when talking to Jake Tapper or he was lying on February 29th when he told America that the virus was no big deal. Okay, And then he's lied about masks. At first, he said, no, no, they might block a droplet, but that's about it. They don't do that much. Then he transitioned to, really, you should wear a mask. Then you must wear a mask. Then maybe you should wear two masks. I mean, who knows what's going to come later from this guy. Next, it might be Darth Vader's helmet. I mean, I have no idea what he's going to prescribe next. Fauci is just all over the map. I mean, the man doesn't seem very competent. We don't know that he's ever treated a patient. And he's certainly, certainly highly dishonest. So can we really trust these health authorities? But Why are they doing this? You know, you asked that before the break. Here's one thing that no one else mentions, Andy, and I don't know why, because to me it's quite obvious. A lot of conspiracy theories have grown up around this question, understandably, because it's so odd, the scientific obscurantism that's coming from health authorities. But you also have to remember that all these politicians who visited these lockdowns and onerous COVID regulations upon us basically wreaked havoc upon the society, Andy. They caused economic destruction. They caused death and illness from other causes on really a very, very wide scale. Okay, it was a monumental mistake. I think one of the bigger mistakes in American history. Now, if these politicians all of a sudden say, guess what? We were wrong. Oops, wasn't necessary. Their political careers are over. That's it. So they have a vested interest in maintaining this illusion. They're in a hole. All they can do is keep on digging. and What comes to mind here is that famous saying, fairly famous, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his income depends on his not understanding it. And, of course, in the case of these politicians, it's not just their income, it's their reputations, it's their political careers, it's their power, and these people are power mongers in general. That's why they gravitate toward politics in the first place. And that brings us, by the way, to a conspiracy theory, and it may be correct. A lot of people say, Andy, that this is just a matter of social control. They want to see how much they can get away with, how well they can control people, condition them to listen to the authorities, and then in the future, they might be able to control us in even more tragic ways, more onerous ways, and I wouldn't be surprised.
0: Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Again,
1: these are power mongers.
0: You're right, and I, I think that that is definitely a, a factor of it. Whether that's the entire conspiracy, I don't believe it is, but I believe that they're definitely piggybacking, never let a crisis go to waste, sort of thing, in order to condition for later on. Because that's why I think so many people distrust anything they hear about COVID, with vaccines, with masks, and that sort of all around. Uh, as well and that's why they're having a hard time pushing their agenda now on it's Selwyn Duke find him online at Selwyn. uh the new American is pieces as well I love having you on the program my friend it's always good to talk to you let's do it again real soon
1: same here Andy thank you God bless
0: hey, hey you as well appreciate that this for us today podcast up in a little bit until then be your own voice of reason this is the voice of reason I'm Andy Hoosier everyone have a great Wednesday